Well, today is a significant day because for the first time, an all-black is putting on the record publicly that he's gay. Campbell Johnston is all-black number 1056, a prop who played in three all-black tests, made 38 appearances for the Crusaders and played 72 times for Canterbury. If I can be the first all-black that comes out as gay and take away the, uh, the pressure, I guess, and the stigma surrounding that whole issue, then we can, you know, then it can actually help other people. History made. Campbell Johnson, um, if you missed the Seven Sharp episode last night, he's come out to, and essentially said that he is gay and he is proud of who he is. And it's an inspirational message and it's a very brave thing that he's done. This is brilliant news for, for young gay men who are striving to be the very best in their sport, if their sport is rugby or anything really, isn't it? The rugby community in New Zealand and around the world are hailing Campbell Johnson uh, as a trailblazer after the former Crusaders prop came out as the first openly gay black but I don't want this to be taken the wrong way but I know that you know that people are free to take it however they do want it is my initial response is I don't care Campbell Johnson's sexuality doesn't matter to me um, it's not important to me that he's gay or otherwise he was an all black the thing that's important to me about an all black is that they win rugby games Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, why, in 2023, is it still groundbreaking to be gay in New Zealand rugby? I think we're in a time of change. I think we're reinventing what it means to be a man, and the gay dimension in, in sports is, 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 is playing a big role in that. The reality is, is homophobia exists. Um, it still very much does at, the, at, at all levels um, of sport. We'll come back to Alice Soper later in the episode. But first, Dean Knight, better known these days as a law professor at Victoria University. Back in the 90s, though, Dean was a part of rugby history, organising the world's first gay rugby match as part of the Crazy Knights team. I asked him what his reaction was to Campbell Johnston coming out. To be honest, it was a bit out of the blue. Um, you know, for those of us that have been in this space for a while and worked to progress change, I think it was, quite frankly, a bit teary seeing, you know, seeing this moment come. That we've often talked about the significance of it before. But to be honest, my first reaction was just one of joy and looking at a guy there who was just, you know, relaxed, comfortable in his skin, talking about being an all-black, talking about being a gay man... And just that sense, I mean, it's a familiar story, that sort of angst of coming out and all that. And then when it's done, that sort of equilibrium's reached and that sense of being comfortable um, and being authentic and just being who he was. He was just looked so joyful and relaxed. What do you think traditionally has been, or when you were growing up, what was the concept of masculinity? What was promoted by fellow men? Well, I grew, I grew up in a small country community, farm life, um, uh, rugby life, um, and it was that sort of hyper-masculinity of you know, men and you know, the Barry Crump sort of vision of a, a New Zealand man. G'day, Barry. What do you think? Bright, isn't it? It's got some new features. Scotty, Scotty. Let's just hop in and run out to the hut for a brew, eh? I mean, it's actually a little bit odd thinking back to that because it's not something that, you know, that's something that didn't resonate, particularly as, as, as a young man when I was 
exploring what it meant to be a gay man as well. So I think we started to look for for different ways to image what it meant to be to be a man and 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 be an be a, be an athlete, be be someone who loves sport as well, and and looking at ways to reconcile those different parts of different parts of our lives. You know that vision of 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 a rugby player and. And also the desire to be, you know, an authentic, an authentic gay man. Where did you grow up, Dean? I grew up in the Pohanga Valley in in the Manawatu, and you know, started playing rugby on the on the fields at, at Milton Line. I think at seven when the bare feet, and and I think, God, four decades on, still playing, and uh, escaped to Wellington, you know, for university and. Um, and saw a bit of the world, and 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 had my eyes opened up to possibilities of uh, possibility of life, and 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 different ways to marry those things that were very important: uh, the love of rugby, you know, the identity as a gay man. How did you find that way forward? Where could you find those ways to to help you out? As you talk about, for me, the the start of the journey was my OE in my early twenties. I'd been playing um, pretty high level club rugby with. Um, western suburbs, the Roosters there and some All Blacks then alongside us at Amat Ramir, Felo Tietir, Rodney Soyalo and then after my university time went abroad to London and saw a smaller story about the King's Cross Steelers who were then the first gay rugby team in the world. There's this element of being a rugby player, even as a gay rugby player, that there's a certain masculinity that you need to maintain. To me that's bollocks. And this is sort of the mid 1990s, and you know, I was there for a, um, three months over their winter, and I played, and oh my god, it was just life changing. You know, the sort of sense of reconciliation, the way, the opportunity to to hang out with you know gay guys who just love rugby and rugby players who were just happy and relaxed being gay, and that's when you know it just felt like gold dust, and I wanted to share that. So when we came came back after the OE and you know, uh, put the message out amongst some of the gay brothers in, in, in Wellington. And we started throwing some rugby balls around on Kelvin Park one afternoon. And... When I came back out of retirement to play for the Crazy Knights, the, the, the gay rugby team here in Wellington, I made it a condition of playing that I could play number eight. That's where you met your husband. It is. He was the halfback. It was, it was you know, it was a close relationship. From that, a sort of a social, couple of social games happened and a team emerged in Auckland and a a match between the two teams, which was officially, we look at it now, as, as the first match between two gay rugby teams in the world in, gosh, I mean, the, um, 1998. So it was wonderful, but it was also a different time, and it was a time at which the climate in rugby and in the community wasn't so accepting of gayness, gay people, the rainbow community within sports. So we just wanted to be out there and enjoy ourselves and send a message, hopefully, that it's OK to be a rugby player and be gay and it's OK to be gay and be a rugby player because, you know, the the two different images didn't, you know, in, in people's world's view, didn't really connect. And we just wanted to give a space, social space, for, for guys to change that. When you talk about, um, you know, it wasn't as accepting in 1998, what, what do you mean by that? Oh, I mean, the, the discourse around the rugby field was a lot more, you know, Ugly and homophobic language was, you know, probably rife, and and it was just. I mean, there weren't role models. I mean, we're lucky 
Ian Roberts in league, who was you know decades ahead of any other elite athlete, was out. It's been wonderful that that by simply being truthful, you know, I know I've been able to help people. Yeah, it is a wonderful feeling. But yeah, you know, he was he was a small, lonely uh, person on that horizon. And the reality is, there wasn't people to look to to sort of see, you know, those gay folk inva- involved in elite team sports, um, particularly those sort of um, that had a tradition of you know strong team culture, masculinity, and so forth. The simple black jersey is about legacy, a legacy of heart and heroics. It, it's just, it's just not. It's in a hard environment to feel one belongs when the banter and the noise is all very heterosexual and hypermasculine. When that's not how you are, and I'm not sure that everybody in the room was of that attitude. But <sighs> over time, that changes. You inject gay people with different perspectives, different banter into that environment, and the and the discourse changes. You, you inject other people with different, you know, life values and and backgrounds, different ethnicities, with you know different different approaches to religion. Those those things condition that sort of locker room banter in different ways, and. Um, you know, in my early days, I mean, you, you just sometimes you just sit there a bit quietly, but then you get a bit bored of bringing only half yourself to rugby. And you want to have the conversations about, you know, you know what happened on the Saturday night, you know, out at the club. Or, or one of the special moments for me was when I got dumped. I was a little bit sad. And some of the guys realised this. I turned up at training on a, on a, a Thursday night and they'd pasted a picture of Peter Andre with his sexy abs where I normally sit because they wanted to cheer me up. And that was kind of special because in some respects it was a signal that I, you know, had a relationship with these guys which which built on the fact I was gay, not despite the fact I was gay. And and I still cherish that moment, that sort of crude attempt just to cheer me up, but just recognising and acknowledging that, you know, I was a gay man and they could respond in that way. Alice Soper is a freelancer for women's sport, a commentator and rugby player and advocate, among other things. She's also an out and proud queer woman. She had a similar eye-opening experience to Dean when she went over to play rugby in the UK. There was an um, initiation when you would go away uh, to play rugby games. You know, I was playing in that premiership, so it's all over England. And on the bus uh, after your first match, you'd be put in the hot seat. And the first three questions they asked you was age, number and ratio. So that was how old you were, how many people you've slept with and what the ratio was to men and women because it was just assumed. <laughs> that there would be some queerness mixed in there, I guess. Would that ever be something that, in your experience, you'd be asked in New Zealand? Absolutely not. There's no way. Why? Why? <laughs> Why do we not want to talk about that? This might differ in um, the men's rugby context. They might be a bit more open about these things. But I think when it comes to women's rugby as well, like particularly where I play in Wellington, there is a large Pacific Island contingent that play our game and that's like you know there's a element of conservatism that comes with that too like just or privacy I guess you know we are inclined to pray before games and things like that in respect to their um, beliefs and so that's not exactly the same uh, environment that you would be asking for the nitty-gritty details of someone's sex life so these things I guess don't sit alongside each other. I asked Alice why she thinks now was the right time for Campbell Johnston to come out publicly. People that meet me now are surprised that it took me so long to figure this out about myself. And I don't think there is any 
timeline or correct way um, for people to live their lives. And so I don't think there's any issue with him coming to this uh, at this point in his life. This is the right time for him to be stepping into that space. The reality is, is homophobia exists. Um, it still very much does at the at, at all levels um, of sport. You know, the the way that people can, you know, just throw the word gay around as a derogatory term, the same with dyke, that these things are thrown at you as an insult for your actions. And you know, all of those things prevent you from wanting to, I guess, make yourself vulnerable in that way. In terms of why it is happening in the women's game and not in the men's, hey, there's so much to unpack there around the ways in which it is. I think, if I, look, I'm, I'm not a gay man, but I feel like it's probably more dangerous to be out in yourself physically in those spaces. It can be like I, my fear in coming out in my team was primarily around social exclusion and I guess the the emotional impact of that I was never physically scared that anything would happen to me and so that's also a different stakes that we're dealing with here the expectation of men's rugby is that this is this hyper masculine really tightly bound into what a lot of Kiwi men use to define their heterosexuality whereas the assumption and expectation on women rugby players is that we are all gay um, and that in itself has its own challenges because there's a number of straight women that play that then uh, get put in that box. So, you know, there's different challenges, I guess, with both parts. But I think one of the wonderful things about women's sport becoming um, more visible as well is that will help our men in turn. If we see our women out there being themselves, being loved for it, seeing the whole country falling in love with Ruby Tui, who is an, a proud out woman. That these things will help our men to be more confident in being themselves too. In terms of this happening on the international stage, we've seen some men come out and there's been videos online, there's been quite a kind of campaign around it. And you can still be a great basketball player and be gay, you can do whatever you want. It has nothing to do with your sexuality or who, who you are or who you're meant to be or who you're expected to be. Hi everyone, it's Josh Cavalli here. I'm at my home here in Adelaide. There's something personal that I need to share with everyone. I'm a footballer and I'm gay. And then in New Zealand, you know, we don't have any of that. Why do you think that is? Are we behind in New Zealand? I think there's probably more we could do. You know, like when I was playing over in the English Premiership, we had a pride round as part of our rugby. So we would wear rainbow laces and the funds from those laces would go to Stonewall, you know, who are one of their LGBTQ, you know, charities over there. So there's definitely more that we can do. And I think that's all about celebrating um, who people are. But if you are going to celebrate, you also got to educate uh, because you see, you know, some of the tensions also that have come up in those spaces around conflicts between religion um, and sexuality, uh, both of which the others would say is a life choice. Seven Manly players will boycott their clash with the Roosters on Thursday in protest of the club's new Pride jersey. The Sea Eagles Club announced they will be wearing a rainbow jersey to promote inclusion for the Pride community in Rugby League. 
The players weren't consulted before the jerseys were released and say cultural and religious beliefs are behind their reasons for not wearing the pride jersey. So, you know, both of these things are in, in tension with each other. I think the more that we can educate each other on just who we are and um, allow, like I say, for a breaking down of archetypes uh, attached to each of these things, the better we'll be. Um, people are always more unique than the homogenous jersey that we pull on. Yeah, well, I think in the last year, you know, we've seen the Black Ferns absolutely celebrated and, you know, the stadium was absolutely full at the final at Eden Park. So uh, is this the future of sport? Do you think the All Blacks are at risk of becoming a bit old-fashioned? I mean, I I think it's probably more around humanity of it, eh? I think um, we have had a tendency with our All Blacks, we have made that uh, so professional it's become, you know, commercial. um, And so it hasn't uh, allowed, I guess, for people first. If you look at kind of different models of sports in different parts of the world, uh, in the US, for example, they tend to lead with player first, whereas we lead with rugby first. And so the emphasis is on the game rather than on the individuals that play it. And so within that, it kind of is a, it leads for a more shallow storytelling. Uh, and I think that's where we've led to that disconnect. Whereas in the women's game, it being at this moment of transition from amateur to professional, these people are tangible because they are still walking around in our community. If you look at men's rugby players, you know, they've been uplifted out of what would be the tangible part of rugby since age 16. You know, they're signed up to super franchises at that age. They're never playing club rugby. Um, They're not down at the grassroots, so we don't know who they are. Um, Whereas with our women up until, well, they still are playing club rugby as well. There will be um, the Super Rugby Opiki League. Welcome to Super Rugby Opiki. It's next level women's rugby with the best of the best going head to head. But then at the end of this, they will come back and they'll play for their clubs. So we still have that connection. Um, And I think it's probably more about that. I think it's more around letting people know people um, and letting people be themselves. And so I think, the corner that the All Black brand has painted themselves into that is that they have become just that. They are a brand, so they are very sensitive uh, to anything that might rock the boat. Um, But I think within that, they fully do not realise their own power um, in terms of leading New Zealand um, in a number of issues and and leading people um, just by nature of who they are change the conversation. Yeah, so maybe they could do a bit more about pride, a bit more about the rainbow community. Well, hey, yeah, why not? Why not have um? Why not have us all invited along and 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 uh, have a good time? Why not have a drag show at halftime? Uh, <laughs> there's lots of fun we could be having with it. Um, and and look, that's also not to say that you know gay rugby doesn't exist. There's been obviously the Falcons rugby team that have um, flown this bag for a long time. There has been a number of champions of um you know gay men's rugby for a long time and so you want to also give them their due and yeah. their respect that you know it's it's not that it doesn't exist it's just that perhaps it's not highlighted in the way it could be do you think do you think we're ready for a, a drag show at half time i mean you know and especially in a place like new zealand with the hyper masculinity as you say and you know the the, the small towns kind of you know and the and the what wops that might look at this and go oh this isn't right um, which is unfortunate, but are we ready for it? 
well, partisan elected Georgina Beyer um, as their mayor in the 90s. Hello, I'm Georgina Beyer. I was the world's first out transsexual to have been elected to a parliament and indeed to have been elected as a mayor. Uh, and I would also say to you that the current mascot of the Tokomanoa Queens, the basketball team here in Wellington for the Toei Basketball League, is a drag queen. So, you know, it's already happening. Um, I, I, obviously, that's being a bit cheeky, but I think that there can be, you know, just that more things that are tied in, more relationships. Start with education, though. Let's get our um, our teams in and in, in support with our uh, rainbow communities. Let's get connections going with, you know, the likes of rainbow youth and such bringing them into those spaces, making them feel a bit uncomfortable in their learning journey, uh, and then bring our um, communities together. But I think in the first instance, it has to be the uh, All Blacks brand and the rugby community coming to the queer community, not the other way around, um, and making that offering of, hey, we're here to learn. So maybe it's more a case of getting them along and having them have some conversations at Big Gay Out um, rather than having our queer community centre stage. So some people have said, you know, reacted to the Cam- Campbell-Johnston story by saying it doesn't really matter, it's it's not relevant, just let the game be about the game. I don't think it is important what an all-black or a rugby player or any sports person has by way of sexual pre- uh, preference or attraction. What do you think of that? Visibility matters. We need role models. We need guys bringing their full selves to their, their sports, people of all backgrounds um, participating... Uh, because it means so much for our young folk, our other, other other players who are looking for leaders and looking for people to follow and to to just reassure us that it's okay to be ourselves in, in our different worlds, our different spheres, and we can reconcile being rugby players, you know, being rainbow, being gay or lesbian. We can't underestimate the value of role models and, and other, other people uh, walking before us to make it easier for us to engage in those own, our own personal choices about how we present ourselves. Do you know what it's like for, for young queer players out there at the moment? Everything I hear is the environment's you know, much more inclusive, better, high schools are better. You, know, you, look, at, you look at Heartstopper. We've got a you know, romantic bloody drama for teen folk, which has got you know, a, a guy dating the captain of the rugby team. I really like you. You like me. Wasn't that obvious? <laughs> That's where that sort of sense of the community changing, you know, our, our progression has happened, progress has happened and things like that, and we're seeing it in a, in a wider range of areas. There's much more visibility. I think there's a lot more intolerance of, of homophobic language and, and prejudice and also just assumption um, uh, that there's only one way to be. So I'm wrapped to see this generation come through and what they might achieve. And just the sheer critical mass makes the the prospect for change and, and visibility so much greater. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Mark Chesterman. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Dean Knight and Alice Soper. Ka kite anu.